Hello and welcome to Off the Record. Um, this weekend, this past weekend, Jesse and I uh, went to musical shows. I moved. Jesse ate Chinese food, and now we're back with you guys, and we missed you dearly. Oh, we did. I can't eat Chinese food anymore, and Jesse does it to bother me. You know what's funny is I I don't eat bulletproof Chinese. What does that mean? Bulletproof Chinese is a saying, like you know, like picture on the wall Chinese is another synonym. But bulletproof Chinese is usually that it's in a bad area, so you have to have bulletproof glass. Oh, I got you. Oh, wow, that you. Okay, so this is the stuff. This is the stuff where like having you as my friend is okay. Like it's worthwhile. You know, I teach you things like terms like these. I think I could use for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like what you'll say is like, there's a designation, like, so Sichuan, which is a fancier Chinese. That's what I eat a lot of, but I don't fuck with bulletproof Chinese. <laughs> bulletproof Chinese. I can't eat any, but, uh, I, I love that term. Wow. Yeah. It's, it, it was good. 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 The, the ex-girlfriend who taught me that I'm forever grateful to. Very nice. Very nice. Um, uh, I moved Jesse. Uh, so, so where'd you move? I moved four blocks away to 43rd and Spruce Street. You're uh, like me doing blocks away moves. You know, my family once moved across the street. Like li- like literally? Mm-hmm. Wow. Like literally. Well, well, during your childhood? Yeah. Did, were you bummed? No. It's, it was just, I mean, it was kind of fine. Okay. Kind of fine. I, uh... I had to throw away all my stored up alcohol that like my, my, my dead wine bottles that I kept like a college student. Oh, that is so college student. That was so college student. Uh, I had to make six trips up and down the stairs to get rid of all the bottles. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, wine's a habit, Jesse. I, I, I mean, I, I was literally, uh, having a meeting at one thirty in my bed, drinking a bottle last night, a meeting. A meeting at 1.30 a.m. drinking a bottle because when you do business like me, you go hard as fuck. <laughs> well, to keep up with Off the Record, you can you can go to offtherecord.fm. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. So I was going to say, I went to the, one of the best uh, shows of my life. You did? Did you see uh, Did you see the Falling in Reverse Three Ring Circus Tour that's coming around <laughs> the East Coast? <laughs> that, 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 that is tempting, I have to tell I, you. I'm I mean, very I'm... tempted to go tomorrow in Philly. Like, There's a large part of me that's like, I could just roll up to this, couldn't I? Man, if I didn't have plans, I'd. Uh, but I'm going to see pianos tomorrow, so oh, uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise, I, I I would roll down there to go yeah. with you. I mean, I already got that selfie of me and Radkey together. Yeah, yeah, and we have we have that photo of uh, of Black Veil Brides. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. So, four four years old. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, no, I went I went to an art gallery and saw a weirdo dance show, and it was awesome. Did you? So so it wasn't uh, it was it was not punk. Uh, well, there was one punk the band that played, uh, but they played behind glass, and you could only hear them through the PA. Oh, I saw this photo. So would you call that bulletproof punk? <laughs> oh, that's oh. good. I like that. I like that. I like that. That was very witty, Zach. Full broad wow. around. We're, we're going to have to pass that on to Dev Hines so he can uh, use that for his band. I have peaked. Mm. This Maybe. My, this is my peak today. I think that was your witty, wittiest line of the show. That was pretty witty. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well done. Okay, all right. We have a title now. We'll, we'll, we'll start the show now. Okay, we'll start the show. Uh, so, last week, uh, news broke late in the week that Fearless Records and Wind Up Records, uh, Wind Up Records most known for the for my first ever favorite band, Evanescence. Were um, cool. What about your other favorite band, Creed? Oh, great band. 
Dude, they have hits. But so, so wait, 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 let's remind the kids. What were the scene bands they had? I besides they, the only so one. So at one coming point, drive through was like you know when everyone not drive through. You know, you know at that one point in every label's businesses and whatever's career that they're like, oh, this thing did really well three years ago. Let's get on this. You know that point. Mm-hmm. So all at once, wind up signed Bayside, Cartel, and Hawthorne Heights at the same exact time. Razor and Ty were also like, oh, we should sign bands and sign Saves the Day, God Saves the Day, uh, Kevin Devine, and Hit the Lights. All this, so like these these two labels did both at the same time and they all failed. But currently, Wind Up Records, I think, truly has Evanescence and like. Evanescence. Evanescence still puts out records? Oh, they still sell records, man. Oh, I had no idea. I thought the girl would like solo or something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they have Seether. See, I'm not, I'm not trusting your musical knowledge of the past so much because I just listened to that podcast you and Evan did where he guided. Oh, you listened? Well, I had to give up because he was playing you so much bad music that I didn't want to be reminded of how terrible that was. It but seemed I always... like the 90s were a dark time. Well, no, I, I think what Evan did is he just played you the worst of the 90s and really pretended that was the 90s. Huh. I, I, I would argue there could be better curation done of the 90s. I Granted, I think I tapped out after like six songs. Like once you guys got to Uncle Cracker and started talking about good kid rock songs, I realized that you really are the most culturally illiterate smart person I've ever met. I'm very culturally illiterate. Um, yeah, that that's accurate. I, 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 I It was hard for me to realize... like. That Weta song, I had never heard it before, and oh. I, I really thought it was a female vocalist. Like, I, I was so, so put this, money this on an, it. This is another one. That's a terrible fucking song. But people love that song. Fuck boys love that song. Hey, well, I guess I'm not a fuck boy. Mm. Also, that also, oh man, I don't know. The nine, I just, I don't want to go back. I don't want, I don't want to go back to the '90s. So, are you upset now about the '90s revival? I guess I have to be like this. It seems like it's going to be bad for me. Um, There's parts of the '90s revival that are really upsetting, but then the the thing that's the most upsetting about the '90s revival is it's the last decent revival before every revival that's terrible. Like, let's just keep this in mind: new metal revival, that Uncle Cracker Fastlane type sound revival. Fastlane, what was that? That, It's the the worst shit ever. It is literally the worst music ever made, and like I can remember. Just being young and punk as fuck and just being like, you know, I had something to rebel against when music was that bad. Like now, the pop music and the rock music is just mediocre bullshit in like a much less offensive way. Uh-huh. Foo Fighters continuing to put out shitty records is far less offensive. Actually, Imagine Dragons is pretty offensive to me. I would rebel against that. They're fuck boys. <laughs> They're fuck boys. Okay, well, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, a, 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 a two, a one very important label to our music scene was bought this week, last week. Uh, full disclaimer, uh, I day-to-day manage real friends who are on uh, Fearless Records. Uh, Fearless Records was bought by Concord Bicycle Music, which I had never heard before. Had you? Um, I have heard of this because I can remember the last time I heard about them when I read a bill article on Billboard, and I said, wow, that's a stupid name for a music group. And so they bought Fearless for $10 million um, and their whole back catalog and their current roster. Um, so now, as a man on the inside, Zach, yes. can you tell us, were the bands fearful of this acquisition? Like, you know, you, know, you went like, the, the, you know, if anybody watched the fantastic documentary of Nirvana, the montage of heck. Still haven't watched it. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. Okay. Well, so I have here's HBO the point. N- now, now, so 
Oh, yes. Um, so, but the point is, I was just going to make is every band, the scariest part of their existence, or if you've watched, like, uh, it was a good illustration of it is that uh, Believe in What You Want, Jimmy World documentary um, that they made right after Bleed American. Have you watched that? No, I didn't know that existed. Uh, it's very, very hard. Uh, I got it on Netflix DVD, uh, and I think I didn't. I think I didn't return it because I liked it so much. Oh, I, I pretend like I got lost in the middle. <laughs> Anywho, my greater point: bands getting shuffled around labels, and then you don't know the person who signed you anymore, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's your worst fear. Like when you're signing to a label, you're signing a contract that says basically you're being adopted by a, a parent, and then that parent could leave at any time, and you could get stuck with a shitty stepfather. Oh, and. I think it's always scary when these labels get sold. Like, how do they know that they're not going to reprioritize and say, you know, we really want to put money back into for other sickest kids instead of real friends because we think that um, MySpace core is coming back and we like fuckboy who loves Sarah Palin to be promoted. Uh, regarding fear, um, I no, the band has not expressed any fear to me or to my boss, as far as I know. But I, it's interesting, like, um, you know, just reading it in a business, like whenever, whenever a uh, buyout like this happens, there's always layoffs, you know, cause this is, this is like a big music consortium. So they're going to want to consolidate. So like, why do we need 10 marketers across, uh, five labels? If we could just have three, like stuff like that, right? Like a company like this buying fearless records wants the back catalog. They want some of the current catalog, obviously, and they definitely want to trim the fat to up the profit. That's just so. Here, here's the thing about the fat. Why I don't buy this shit anytime anybody says this. Have you read Appetite for Self Destruction? No, it sounds like a Guns N' Roses album. Nope, that's a Guns N' Roses album without the self. So this is the best book about the music and business of uh, all time. In fact, the fact that you host a music business podcast and haven't read this is a very scary thing to me. I'm uncultured. You need to read this book. Is my greater point. In this book, they talk a lot about how Tommy Mottola manipulated uh, all the uh, people who worked in marketing that they had to spend all their time on Mariah Carey and all these other bands that were signed to the label at the time would get the shaft and there's these great records that tanked because no resources were allowed to be devoted to anybody except Mariah Carey. Now note, Tommy Mottola was married to Mariah Carey as well, which makes this even more disgusting. Mm. So... One of the things I always get disturbed about when it's like, well, we're going to consolidate so we have these five marketing people. It's like, well, then the problem becomes, unless you're structured like Epitaph now for the kids, Epitaph is structured where you get basically two people who devote their whole lives to you uh, when you sign to them, which is very different than most labels. Usually you have one A&R man who's taking care of eight to 15 bands at times. And then maybe there's a guy who does graphics, a guy who does YouTube, a guy who does some PR, etc. Every label situation is different, but that's a common thing. Anyway, I don't buy that this works out for the bands when it's like this consolidation of like, now we have a marketing department that we distribute across our bands for, and this will be a good thing for everybody. Because I think they make decisions on who to devote their time to, and that often screws bands that have some good promise because they go too all in on the band that's the hit instead of breaking the new band that could be the hit. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm very interested. Like, So the thing about Fearless, which is particularly interesting right now and particularly interesting about Concord buying them right now is that they have upcoming releases from Pierce the Veil and Mayday Parade. And do people still care about Mayday Parade? I'm asking more, not really good So something crazy happened. The last, so their last album, it did thirty thousand copies first week and debuted at ten out of wow. nowhere. So the band only grew after that, and the band has a very large fall tour planned. 
And I would imagine the album first week will do from 30 to 50 grand. And that's very 30 to 50,000. And that's very wide because I just don't know. I, it's hard for me to gauge, but the band has just become very big, especially mm. with All Time Low doing the 70,000 they did or whatever. So, like, I, I really think Mayday Parade is going to do like 40,000 copies first week, right? So that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then Pierce the Veil. I, I really, I am on record as saying I would not be surprised if Pierce the Veil sold 100,000 copies of the record first uh, I, week. I agree. You know, um, the most band shirts I see right now are Pierce the Veil shirts. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, I, I it, astoundingly, like, not even by a two-to-one margin do I see more Pierce the Veil shirts than any other band, aside from, like, classics like the Misfits and stuff like that. And I live in Brooklyn, and obviously there's a Misfits shirt everywhere. If you throw a stone, you hit one. <laughs> Pierce the Veil has just kind of taken over for a lot of the underage kids. And it's like very much a, like Pierce the Veil owns Hot Topic. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing to own, frankly. <laughs> uh, and and so like, you know, if let's say Pierce the Veil sells 100,000 copies first week, that's a million bucks in revenue, you know? I, I like they they bought the label at a smart time where they have the band's two biggest, rec the band, the label's two biggest bands releasing albums sometime this year. And and so it's really interesting to see. And the back catalog is still pretty healthy, you know. Like, hey there, Delilah, I still hear it on the radio, you know. That that that, that song for like a pretty mediocre song, uh, really has because I think it hits all the perfect notes oh, of yeah. melancholy. Like you're having a bad love scene in a very boring TV show. It really like hits that note like no other song has ever hit. And it is amazing that the lasting power of Arguably a very mediocre song. Yeah, I remember distinctly like being 10 years old or 12 years old on the bus to soccer camp every day. And I think that was the first song I ever got sick of because I had like never heard a song played that much. <laughs> wow. So looking at what Concord is, by the way, I, I want to just make this point. It looks like Concord's business model is to kind of buy up. Like it actually looks like Fearless is one of their more active labels because what I'm seeing when I'm looking at their catalog is they have a lot of labels that are mostly legacy, if not catalog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely like the back catalog. Like I see that they have Stacks, they have uh, Vanguard, they have Sugar Hill, they have Nitro, which is you know basically a defunct label. Yeah, they just bought Vanguard, which uh, for anyone listening uh, is. Uh, the new label that actually Andrew McMahon is on and like Matt Nathason or something is on. Like they're mostly a catalog label, but they have like a few semi-popular current artists. Yeah, um, and Rounder is a massive catalog label, but it is a, they do still put out some new stuff and, but they have like a roster that is really, really insane if you're into like obscure, cool rock bands. Yeah, so it's definitely pretty interesting to see that Fearless went for this and uh, you know, like in the in the thing, their own the owner Fearless mentioned in the piece, he was like, "We've gotten plenty of buyout offers over the years, and mm -hmm. we would have done it if they made sense then, and this one makes sense now." But, well, what's interesting though, Pure, Fearless though for years had an upstream deal, I thought, with one label. Am well, I right so about that? I don't really know, but what I so Fearless like got upstreamed bands from a smaller label called Tragic Hero. Oh, yeah, I remember that label. They were very um, Rise Core before Rise Core. Exactly. But also, Fearless has had at the same time, like Mayday and The Main both go to a major mm -hmm. at the same time. But that was also when the scene was getting majorfied. So I don't really know. Um, yeah, it seemed like what their, their business model for a while was is just we're the indie you go to for cred before you go to your uh, upstream deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
Totally. Uh, Which, you know, is a business model, kids. You know, there's 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 many contracts these days behind the scenes where you do your indie release, then you go to the big indie, and then maybe if you do really well, kids, you too can have a shitty major label deal where you'll flop when you put out your record after you write songs with a bunch of fuckboys. I mean, frankly, though, that's also a thing in the smaller world. Like, you know, a lot of a lot of labels now will come to bad timing and be like, hey, we don't want to sign this band to Fearless, Hopeless, Rise, Triple Crown, Side One W, whatever, yet. We'd like to develop them a little more. Would you be interested in putting out an EP or two? You know, mm. and, and that's a that's so, so. So you're you're part you're part of the farming the the band content farming game is what you're saying. Maybe I mean I it, like. Do you think that's negative? <sighs> you know, so I'm on two sides of this. Part of me thinks it's just silly. So who's it to... negative for? Right. Okay. So so this is what I'm, I, I'm not going to answer it that way. Okay. I think it's silly that we have to play these funny games of like let's pretend that you're, you know, doing this all on your own. You're a DIY guy and you're paying your dues. Let the kids think that, but really, we're going to put our money behind you. But yeah, you have to because these fucking kids have nothing to do all day but sit in the defend pop punk group all day and talk shit. Right. Right. Um... These goddamn kids. My fucking cane is in the air so the thing from our end is like or i think from my end would be a lot of these labels like any of the ones i just acknowledge like the fearless class sizes of the labels right like they they're looking to sign these bands way earlier now but the late but those bands and the managers of those bands i think rightfully so are kind of like uh you have like 20 other bands and they're all multiple steps larger than us how are you going to develop or even give us time to think about us Yes. And like, yeah, sure. Like our song being on your YouTube channel with a million uh, subscribers is great. Like, that's it, you know? So I, I think a large part of the process is like, you know, assuming, you know, any band is going to assume, hopefully, that they're going to write good music, you know? And so yes. if that music can get popular on a smaller label and develop more of a homegrown fan base and not also get lost in the mix of some larger label that they'd eventually love to go to, why not? That's, of course depending and banking on you feeling confident that you're going to be a popular band or, you know, that people are going to like your band. Well, which I think is always a gamble you should take. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree as well. So with that, let's talk about another of the dark sides of the scene. So there's this great article this week. I really enjoyed it called Sweatshop T-shirts are one of punk rock's biggest hypocrisies. Hmm. And so what the article basically goes on about is that uh, the way your punk rock t-shirt gets made, and as Zach and I have discussed in the past, we both wear a lot of punk rock tees. Yes, I am. Uh, I technically owe you a royalty for the tank top I'm wearing right now. What, what, what do you What do you owe me for a royalty? On which one is it? The fem pop punk tank top. Oh, oh, nice, nice, nice. Um, so um, most of the shirts you get are made in sweatshops. You know, if you look at the label, it probably uh, says made in Pakistan, made in Bangladesh, made in Honduras, whatever. And yet we all claim to care about workers' rights and da-da-da-da, da-da-da. And I think actually really in all reality, most bands don't give a flying fuck about this. But, um, but I think it's one of those things is that we do have bands that care about this and would care about this, but no one's talking about this. And I really like that this John Gentile uh, wrote this article because it's something I've noticed over the years too. And I will fully admit I don't check my shirts before I order them on the interwebs or when I'm drunk at a show purchasing a T-shirt, whether they were, you know, fair trade as the coffee I buy is every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you make sure about that? 
Uh, the closest coffee house to my apartment that tastes good is Fairtrade. I will be honest with you. If there was a more delicious place, I think I'd probably pretend I didn't see the Fairtrade sticker if it wasn't up. Sure, sure, sure. I just happened to miss it, Zach. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's in, so uh, Sprainerd is a band on Jade Tree, and we're we're setting up. We're, we we did a pre we did a pre order already for a seven inch, and we're getting in the process for doing their album. And they requested actually in the contract, like not like not just in passing, but like it is written in the contract that any like merchandise that we produce for them has to be sweatshop free. That's great. Good for them. And I was like, real. I was like, huh. Like that was a. It wasn't like a point of contention by any means. It was like, yeah, sure. But I was like, oh, I guess I have to think about this now. And that was, you know, that was that was uh, enlightening is the wrong word, but like illuminating for me, I guess. You know, I yes. was like, oh, this is a thing that. Why wouldn't we think about this? <laughs> yeah, you know. I think that's the thing is we're we're getting to a point where we're starting to see how bad it is for workers. There's a very famous article, and uh, actually, the fastest political action I've ever seen was in. Uh, Sunday's New York Times. There's a big article about how bad the conditions in New York City are for um, nail salon workers. And the next day, Governor Cuomo, who sucks at life, arguably, made a emergency legislation to start getting this uh, under control because basically all these workers' tips are stolen if they're in credit cards. And, like, there's just horrible conditions right under our noses in the city going on. And... Uh, I think that's the thing is th these are good things to come out. And some people would say this is really nitpicking. But the other thing about it is I think that the point is made is that, you know, getting shirts that aren't made in sweatshops uh, are much more expensive. Your American Apparel shirt that is supposedly sweatshop free. You know, I trust that company about as far as I can throw them. But, um, you know, it, they are dramatically more expensive than your Gildan shirt. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but I do like the way my Gildan shirts fit me. I do too. A lot of people well, don't. Good. Really? They must not have the taste we have. <sighs> yeah, I'm wearing a Gildan tank. It's tank top season, Jesse. I'm wearing my American Apparel Waves shirt right now. Oh boy. Oh yeah. boy. It's, yeah. it's got to be good to be a fuck boy, buddy. <laughs> just don't don't hate just because I'm punker than you, and I can rock a Waves shirt that says Antichrist in big letters across it. Oh wow. Yeah, you should wear that to like my graduation party or something. Oh, wow. I didn't realize there was going to be a graduation party. I keep forgetting. Hi, Mom. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not really forgetting. <laughs> Though I keep forgetting. And then every once in a while, it pops back up in my mind when something silly happens. And you, you wearing that in front of my dad at my graduation party would, would be it. I, I will be sure to uh, wear that. Or I have a sh shirt that says, uh, hate the Christian right, too. <laughs> I also have one that says, uh, abortion on demand without apology. I mean, I'm not like disagreeing with that. <laughs> I just <laughs> just say it. I could wear any one of these. You let me know which one your father prefers. Okay, thank. Yeah, he he can submit feedback. He can tweet us uh, a tell hashtag tell OTR to to, to, <laughs> let, to let him know. Great. Uh, so moving right along. Yes, dude, your favorite TV show is ending, and I'm sad. I'm sad for you. So the only thing I'm sad about this is is I have the. Uh, best joke for like when i meet parents of like girls i'm dating since you know as we know uh my relationships last about you know usually under six months so i have to meet a lot of parents and uh so they'll be like oh jesse do you watch american idol i go no if i want to hear people sing out of tune i just go to work that is a good joke <laughs> see i see? said jesse see? do you want to talk about this before the show started and he said i have a good joke <laughs> and it turned out to be uh it, it turned out to be worthwhile 
Yeah. So I think there's a there, there's a very interesting thing with this that it's so funny because like I can remember I, I so one of my last real jobs is I worked at Tower Records. Okay. For the kids, Tower Records was one of the bigger record chains, and what they prided themselves on is that they would be the biggest record store. Like they would just have so many records in there, it's insane. And uh, so the thing I noticed is if you bought Bare Naked Ladies or Creed records. You wouldn't buy another CD aside for that. You would just buy that. And I always would say it's like, that's Are music for people. Are you referring back to the episode of Simpler Sound I just did? Oh, well, I, I mean, this is a coincidence. That okay. this is coming. But what I was going to say is Creed and Bare Naked Ladies were like music for people who don't actually like music. I would also go as far to say that American Idol is like music for people who don't really love music. It's just people who. It's casual. It's casual yeah. reality TV. Yeah, and it's just, and you know, the other uh, arguable thing is like for all how huge their viewership was for so long, they continually picked people who had no real consequence on our society. Like, arguably, the two people who came from it that had the most consequence are that Kelly Clarkson girl, who I think did have a big, big. She still has a large culture. career. Yeah, yeah, and I would say that I would actually say that since you've been gone is one of the game-changing pop songs of the past twenty years. It's a hit. Uh, and then, secondly, even if they did steal the bridge from the AAS, and then secondly, Clay Aiken, and only because it's just weird that he ran for Congress. Mm. But I think Clay also, Aiken there's also that, got us. There's to, that country girl. Uh, I don't remember her name, but um, there's a country girl. Really? Kelly? Uh, no, not Kelly. Uh, whatever. Um, she had like this. Never mind. But maybe that's the point. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just say, just like for something that is so culturally uh, humongous, it really seems like they made no impact aside from making Simon Cowell's wallet fatter. Yes, and making a lot of money. And I get like maybe they, maybe it's kind of, it's maybe American Idol's fault that we have One Direction because that made uh, Cowell so popular. And then the X Factor. Mm. And that, like, mm. this is a chain of, this is a chain reaction, you know? You see me? Uh, I'm actually uh, feeling you on this one. I think this is an interesting way you're going with this. Mm. Okay, well, I'm glad. I I, I will say I kind of I have some fun like American Idol memories. Like uh, like you know I mean that ended ten years ago. But I you know my mom and I I think and my dad too would always watch like American Idol when I was young, and uh, those for, for those first few seasons when I was probably in like. I don't even know if I was in middle school yet. That's why it's kind of like weird to think that American Idol won't be on the air because even though I don't watch it or ever think about it, I still see the commercial a hundred times a year for uh, three-fourths of my life. I don't think I've ever seen an episode all the way through. Fifteen years is a long time. It's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a long-running TV show. But you know the other thing? Somebody pointed out that uh, music TV shows, while they're very taken for granted, uh, are also the majority of the longest-running TV shows. Like uh, American Bandstand was one of the most long-running ah, uh, TV shows. Didn't know that. And they say that you know when you when you get a hit music TV show, which is not often, it does end up being a very lasting thing. And you know we still have the Voice, and I would argue that the Voice kind of took the but model yeah, of American it, Idol and perfected it. Yeah, I, I think it. Um, I think it kind of took the steam away a little bit. Just but, as I would argue, um, like if American Idol had been like, we got a major shift, we're doing this thing now, you know. Yeah. Just, just as I would argue that Jersey Shore took what the real world was doing and really perfected it. Did you? I, I feel like Jesse was a big fan of uh, the Jersey Shore. I think I've watched the first two and a half seasons, and after that, I thought they could jump to the shark. I think I've seen all of them over six times. 
Wow. I used to just put it on in the background while I'd work because it makes me so. Well, you got to remember, Zach. I grew oh, up watching those, that in New Jersey. It feels well. Yep. Yeah, see, that's the thing is, I grew up next to those animals, and like <laughs> they they grew up around me. Like the towns that surround me was all Guidos, and so like, you know, it's like growing up with animals. You 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 grow to love that zebra you lived here, but like. If you grew up near a lion, you do have an affinity for that lion, but you don't want to get too close. And that was the thing with the Guidos, is I always wanted to keep my arms length because they attack when you step on their sneakers. This might be a we might we this might be a disastrous feedback episode. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I, I like being able to watch them without the danger of getting hurt by them. But I did go see Paulie G DJ one time and did almost get my ass kicked there. Really? Were, were you were you ignorant in the pit of DJs? No, I mean this girl. Uh, this girl thought it'd be a funny date, and I was trying to impress her because she was really cute. And you know, then uh, this guy started a fight with me when uh, I apparently, like, you know, got a little too close to his frizzy hair. Oh, his fizzy hair, frizzy yeah. hair. Okay. Yeah. So, Spotify is making a move for video. Yes. Did you know who else does video and is a competitor of Spotify? Title. Yes. And YouTube. I do know this. So, but do you really think that at the end of the day, this is going to make them a YouTube competitor as much as this is just going to be like a way to make Spotify title, etc., a little bit more sticky? I think everything that we're now getting into is a game of stickiness, right? Like, yeah. we're, I think we talked about this last week or the week before. Like, every everything now is in a race to the bottom of exclusives, <laughs> you know? Race to the bottom of exclusives and how they can keep you on their site even at the expense of a better user experience. Mm. Yes. Uh, but And I think, yeah, but ultimately I think the experience will be bad for everyone. So yeah, I so do not Sp disagree. So Spotify is having an event on May 20th, so sometime next week. Um, and this is, of course, now we're seeing everyone kind of get their announcements out of the way before Apple announces whatever their Beats thing is going to be on the first week of June. And so I think, you know, we're just going to be seeing more stuff each and every week or every few days from Spotify and Google and RDO and Pandora. Like, I think everyone's just going to keep throwing. Let's be honest, dog. Pandora's not announcing anything except just except, except them going to Congress to try to screw musicians even more ways. <laughs> screw more musicians, more ways. Um, that, that, that's such a, that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, can we get somebody to Photoshop that logo for us? Pandora, screw musicians more ways each day. I, I like that. Yeah, it's like I'm the son of an advertising copywriter. This stuff just flows out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're, this is your job, saving the music industry. We did it. Yeah, just just coming up with with, with shitty uh, remarks to make about other uh, streaming services. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't really know what this would mean. Like, uh, can you imagine? Look, so I, I I have been using Spotify a good amount the last few weeks, more than I was using RDO prior recently. Hmm. Just to kind of try it, and like yeah, the, totally. the app I've, is I've pretty good, but it's it's not it's not nearly great. I just don't know that I can really see Spotify being like, "All right, we're doing video," and count on it. Like that doesn't excite me. Like I'm like, "Oh, I don't want you to muck this up, guys." It seems complicated. You know? Okay, like, let's say this though. I think about what my perfect experience in a streaming music service would be, and I think about like, okay, so I. Right now, I'm obsessively into Mew, who's been my favorite band for almost a decade, and this artist, Sophie. I would be thrilled if I went to 
Sophie's Page on Streaming Music Service X. I went to hit play on their song. And there I see the option to watch video. And I didn't know the video was out. And I got to go, oh, cool. There's a video for this song. I could choose to do that or stream it. And there's two play buttons there. That sounds like a great experience to me. Uh, okay. I just wonder if they can really pull. And I wonder what it means. So, like, are they signing a deal with Universal? I mean, again, we'll see in a week. But are they going to sign a deal with Universal where every music video in the world it now gets put on there? Or... Is it going to be like random, like, here's a new live session from uh, Coldplay? So you mean what title's doing? Yeah, yeah. I just wonder, like, how can you... Everyone wants the videos to be seen by the most amount of people, right? Yes. Well, but keep in mind, this is getting easier because you got to remember when you're uploading to your digital music aggregator now, you just go in if you have a nice one and you upload the video for that song as well. And they take care of all this for you. Yeah, I just. So it's pretty easy to aggregate this content. If I would be, I don't like, I'm just going to, I don't know. I I don't really want to have to, I like that I don't have to pay to watch a music, not that I really watch music videos, but in theory, I like that I don't have to pay to watch a video on uh, YouTube, right? Ideally, you wouldn't have to pay on Spotify. So, well, you do pay. You have to sit through those 30-second shit ads, and I would pay $20 a month to get rid of the ads on YouTube. Cause I, truth, You can do that, you know. On the Apple TV, you can? On YouTube. Okay, because the Apple TV app, I don't think you could. So on YouTube, on YouTube, if you pay for YouTube All Access Music or whatever, it actually removes yeah, all music the... key. Music key, it's called. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. But you can't. But I, see, that's the problem. I'm not talking about music videos. I go to watch like Peter Thiel speak at Stanford. Uh, and I still have to sit through 30 seconds of that bullshit. Do you like watching, or do you? Would you just rather? Would you be okay with just hearing it? I put it. I put it on the background while I'm like typing oh, emails. Jesse, I'm going to introduce you to a new to a not a new service to a service. Oh, it's called Huff Duffer. It strips the. Are you sure? Are you sure that's not something that like people of the South uh, do for fun on the weekends? I like, am pretty... We're going Huff Duffer, man. <laughs> I think that's why they named it that. Uh, so Huff Duffer, what you, what it lets you do is it creates your own RSS feed, like a podcast feed, mm-hmm. and you just plug a YouTube video into it, and it downloads the audio without the video. And if you're subscribed to the podcast feed on your podcast client of choice, you have the audio. Oh, this sounds like heaven. Yep. Yep. That, that sounds huff, pretty good. I think you duffer. just I think you just changed my life. Yeah, I'm so gonna, for people I'm gonna be I'm gonna be huff duffing the night away. <laughs> oh my god, you're moving to the south. <laughs> Forget across the street. Um so yeah, anyone who likes uh anyone who likes to watch a lot of YouTube videos, not for the videos, but for the audio content, like talks and stuff, Huff Duffer is a good option for you. Huffduffer.com. I like it. Yep, yep, yep. I, I just changed your world. Moving on. Yeah. Um We've had something that we've wanted to discuss for a little while that we keep putting off, which is a uh, service called Fluence. Fluence.io. So Fluence was created by one of the founders of Topspin Media, which was a service beloved to us. But Fluence always, it's kind of like an unwanted hand on your inner thigh to me. Can I uh, describe what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From Fluence itself at Fluence.io. People-powered promotions. Connect directly to people you choose on your own terms. Join Fluence today. That's rough. Find and access people who can promote your work or give you feedback. Skip the middlemen and connect directly with each other. Don't waste money or expensive ad agencies 
or advertising that interrupts and distracts people from annoying ads. Get unprecedented levels of targeting that guarantee you the focus time and attention from people you specifically choose. So what is this? Okay, yeah, let's put that in plain English. So music blogger, manager, label head extraordinaire, Zach Zarillo, signs up for Fluence. And what Zach could do is he can put a price on his time where if you want him to listen to your new opus of pop punk gems, he could say, that'll be $50 for me to sit through this crap, please. And then you have to pay it if you want Zach Cirillo extraordinaire to listen to it. Part of me is like, wow, I can get all my time back from and monetize the fact that I listen to all these fuckboys' terrible music sometimes and go through it. And then another part of me is like, ooh, this feels really exploitive. Yeah, so I will actually say that I do have a Fluence account because I signed up for it when, uh, oh, whenever it was going around, you know, on Twitter. And I get emails a bunch. I actually went in there like last week while we were talking about, maybe talking about this last week. And uh, it's annoying, man. I, ugh, I don't want to do it. Like, so people have hit me up. And have been like, hey, uh, so so the, on the back end for, I guess I would be called an influencer. I'm not giving yes. myself that title. So people send like auditions to you. And so I'm looking at it right now. Someone has sent me an audition on 5-9, so three days ago. Uh, and I could earn a dollar and 80 cents on this audition. And I guess if I get past the audition, I could set more money that I'd want to make. It's just... It, it feels so dirty. Like, if someone came in here and was like, we'll give you a hundred bucks to listen to our song, I don't, I, like, it just feels, ugh. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know any way that this feels like a good idea. Because it's, I just can't get behind this service at all. Yeah, so, but here's the thing, though. I think it's an interesting thing that one of the biggest things we see musicians talk about is that they they believe in their music, but they just can't get anybody to listen to it. What if this actually gets it listened to? Like, I think it'd be very exploitive to just hit yes on the money and then not listen to it, which I think is sadly what a lot of people will do. But I think this could be a very interesting thing for that band that's like, man, we just can't get a break if only ever heard. Like, you know, I, like, I just worked with a band that like, yeah, they, they're too old to tour. But man, like, I think this is like one of the best records I've made of like heavy aggressive music and like you know but like who's gonna hear it when they're not gonna work that hard at getting it hurt mm -hmm. but you know there is a thing there's lots of great bands that make great music that just can't work hard right now and like get it out there and this could maybe give them some opportunities and i'm all for the best music getting out to the world not just the person with connections i just don't know that it's set up in a way where it can actually happen like People are, I, I, I could potentially, I'm losing money potentially, technically right now by not doing this stuff, right? And it just feels wrong. Like, what, what happens if I hate the song? Like, you know, most music happens to not be too good. Frankly, yes. So, like, what am I gonna do? Well, I, I, actually, that was just way too polite. Most music is terrible. So I just like it, it's just hard for me to even imagine. Like, you know, you're, if you got one person that had a really good song out of a hundred, you'd be lucky, I think, right? And very. And so it's just like, oh, five bucks, your song sucks. And and, and like, but I'm, I'm the kind of quote unquote influencer they want because. 
I have a music blog, right? I have a record label and a management company. I'm, I'm ideal for that. You could uh, you could potentially launch their career into the stratosphere. Potentially, but if they have great songs at the same time, if they have bad songs that could be good, at the same time, you might actually be a better person for that because you could be like, this is what you guys need to do to make your songs better. Sure. And, and I would argue that those are both great things, but I think my biggest argument also is this, is this is the old way of uh, doing things. And I think really at the end of the day is, is like everybody I know who's a manager, it's not just about whether they like it. It's seeing a good reaction to it that other people like it too. Yeah. That there's enthusiasm towards this band and you're not going to be the one lone fan in the world because we all have bands we like that no one else likes. Absolutely. We talked about this earlier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you for some reason, can listen to New Death Cap. I mean, oh, my album of the year right now. Oh, my Lord. That's something. <laughs> so, I I don't know. The, the, the service just feels dirty to me. It feels like LinkedIn, but you have to pay money to do it, which feels Ooh, like LinkedIn. the worst thing in the world. Like that, if they asked me for a quote, I'd be like, LinkedIn, but you have to pay for it, and it's grosser. <laughs> that is something. It's a good comparison. Um, so, we're, so, so... I don't know, but like, you know, so like with these services and so I like, I, I should say this, that like, um, so like this week, my updated version of my book, Get More Fans is starting to go up on the digital stores and everything. I spent way too much time having a moral dilemma about what to put in the book about this. Because oh. I do feel like this has the potential to maybe launch a career or two. And that this could help some people if like, they get actually get access to the big influencers by having... You know, by knowing who to contact and pay to actually hear them because they wouldn't know how to do it otherwise. I think it's the other thing, too, is so many bands, you know, don't listen to our wise and insightful podcast where we teach people how to get their fan bands a fan base. But, like, they don't know how to do it. They don't have the time. They don't believe it. And, like, part of me thinks, like, this could be a cool thing. But then the other part of me is like, oh, I just don't want this to be a thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I want it to be a thing. I just... May, like, I would love to be wrong. I'd love to hear, like, the... I don't, like, I feel like if there was some, like, beautiful story about this, we'd have it already, if that makes sense. No, I don't think it's been around a long If It takes a long time for, like, beautiful stories to happen, I think, a lot of time. Okay. I, th I, th I, th I think that that's one thing that we can't see. Because you got to figure, you know, for, let's say they get through to the equivalent of Zach Cirillo's superstar music blogger, record label manager guy. Then that guy's got to get them on things and then start doing it. That takes years at times. That's true. Okay. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, the usual. Um, <laughs> so we have questions from our beautiful, lovely listeners that we are very grateful for. You see how much better of a mood I am this week now that I've gotten past my allergies compared to last week? Yeah. After all the things you just said to probably piss off people. But yeah. <laughs> so the first question is, you guys talked about oversaturation of music a while ago, and I just found out that Buckethead has released 123 albums and counting since 2013. Jesse, uh, what, what? do you know what a Buckethead is? So Buckethead was the guitarist in Guns N' Roses before Bumblefoot, who presently plays guitar in Guns N' Roses. Oh. Take that on for size. Okay. So Buckethead plays with a KFC bucket of chicken on his head okay yes um so now Googling yes Buckethead bucket may have released 123 oh albums. my god this photo oh yeah 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 i mean it's like I, the, the fact that you haven't done your googles on this already you think, is he paid, you think KFC ignorance. pays him no i think that this is just like a a, a like he looks you know, weird jesse 
Yeah, well, so this is the thing with Buckethead is like he's basically like an avant experimental guitarist, and we all know that this is the most self indulgent music, and he doesn't really care about the audience. He's doing this for himself. He likes being a creative person, so he puts it out there. And I'm sure there's tons of guitar nerds who really enjoy this stuff, and some obsessive GNR fans, since there's a lot of those. But like, let's be honest. Wow, he's, this, this, he's 40, just because you can do this. He's, he's 45, and he has a uh, bucket on his head. I mean, he's been doing it for a long time. If you, I, like when we just were looking through those records, he's been doing this since the nineties. So. Been in so many bands too. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's arguably a very influential guitarist that guitar nerds really like. But I think the greater point is there's a very big difference between the advice that Zach and I give to bands who are arguably following a band-pop format of trying to write good songs, whereas he's just trying to express and create and fulfill his creative juices, and then if other people enjoy it, it's there and released. He is not trying to be the biggest artist in the world. He's not trying to, to win a huge fan base. He's just creating for his own output because he got that GNR money. I love that GNR money. You have any of that? I mean, actually, technically, all my money should go to GNR because let's always remember, I wanted to be a cop when I grew up until I heard Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, rock and roll changed my life. Arguably saved my life from being horrible. Okay, I, I, need a, I just need to type down this quote, sorry. I wanted to be a cop before I heard... Guns and Roses. What's it? Is Appetite for Destruction? Uh-huh. Appetite for Destruction the first time. Thank you. Yep. Yep. No problem. That's how no I'm going to lead the post for this. Uh, yep, yep. No problem. Yep. 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 <laughs> so, Zach, do you have anything to contribute to this, or should we move on to the Let's next question? Let's move on past Buckethead. I don't, I don't want to keep looking at KFC in case I want to break veg. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that day will come. You ever eat, you ever eat KFC? Uh, KFC was actually the second of the fast food I quit. Uh, I don't think I've eaten. What was KFC, number one? Uh, McDonald's. I stopped eating McDonald's at eighteen, so I haven't. I've literally not had McDonald's in nineteen years. I think it's been eighteen years since I've had KFC. That's almost as long as I've been alive. Yeah, that's 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 well, true. I wonder how McDonald's I, I will, was I will back admit, then. though, I feel like that was probably the heyday of McDonald's. Popeyes was the last fast food I had. I would have like broke back mountain moments with Popeyes. I'd be like in the dark, like I can't quit you. <laughs> 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 it's just so good. Oh my God. So a few episodes back, Jesse implored bands to write a plethora of songs to be whittled down to ten or so album tracks uh, during the recording process. I wonder how many songs the Magnetic Fields wrote in preparation for 69 Love Songs, seeing the band manager produce a rare, critically acclaimed multi-volume record. So this blends well with the question before, really. So, Zach. Yeah. Have you ever heard Magnetic Fields' 69 Love Songs? Um, I've never heard of the Magnetic Fields. Okay. So this is one of the greatest records of all time. And, like, you, you know, when, like... I, when, I, what era did this come out in? I'm going to say early 2000s. Oh, so not um, too long ago. Yes, so so th this is a record that I I always tell um, my hipster friends if you you love a hipster girl and you want the way to her heart is find some dumb instrument figure out how to play some of the songs on this record and sing them to her and you're in dude you're in well, they they're some of the most beautiful amazing love songs of all time but here's the thing um, I actually was fortunate enough to. Uh, record the magnetic fields a little bit uh at wfmu oh. he wrote that record for so many years and he had a home studio where he did the majority of the work in. he'd sketch and demo those songs and he said in interviews that he wrote 
over a hundred songs for this record and tirelessly worked on it for years upon years upon years. So are there 69 songs on it? Yeah, there's three CD set. There's 69 songs. I would argue that like 40 of them are really amazing. I would argue there's like 30 singles on that record, if not 40. Wow. It's, it's truly unbelievably great music. Um, what makes it interesting, too, is there's, I think, four different singers on the record. So you don't really get bored of like, all right, I've heard this guy's voice for far too long. Like, uh, it really is switched up great. And the songwriting is just unbelievable. It's it's a really great record and uh, something anybody who, if you can stand to listen to indie pop and you like that type of thing, if you're not listening to this record, you're, you're fucking up bad. Very nice. Yeah. All right. So anyway, so so the point is, he wrote way more than sixty nine songs to achieve that level of quality, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's arguably one of the best songwriters in the game at that point. I think he lost it after that record, and I think this is another thing we should talk about on a future episode. If and you use it, you lose it. Let's get into this next episode. I'm putting a note in. The early November record streamed at Noisy last week, and it made me think about this: Why do labels and bands stream records without putting them for sale? Is a promo from the stream worth leaking the album? I understand streaming the album when the album has already leaked, but leaking the album in, in the stream just seems dumb to me. I'm much more likely to go download the rip so I can listen to the record how I want instead of streaming on a website. Okay, so let's 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 unbox this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Bands set a release date and they start working from anywhere from eight weeks to six weeks to four weeks from that date on a press plan. And that press plan includes an album announcement, streams, and most importantly, pre-orders. And Mm -hmm. so often the week before, almost 99% of the time in the modern day, uh, the week before a record comes out, the the prior Monday through Wednesday or something, the bands will stream the album in full on a publication of their hopeful choice or just on YouTube or something like that. The process here isn't that the record's leaking, it's that the band is letting everyone hear it and get excited about it a few days before it comes out in hopes that they can uh, boost up pre-orders or um, first week sales a little more. Yeah, this is what we'd call uh, visibility. Visibility. They're they're counting on that you're going to Stereo Gum and you're seeing that right-hand column that over the course of days, because we all know there's certain days that some people don't check the internet, that you're going to at some point see uh, that... um, this band now has a new record out, and the price they pay for putting this out a little early is visibility. And, um, yes, yeah, well, sure, like, someone might rip the record and leak it. You know, honestly, Jesse, what do you think about me saying this? I feel like leaks are kind of over. I, 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 You know, I think that we have another topic for next week. All right. All right. Because well, well, I, I, I do agree to extent um, that leaks are over, but I think we should get into this when we have more time. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So the worry here, the worry here is not about the leak at all. It's like, fuck the leak. We made it this far without it. Thank God. Let's try to boost the sales a little more. Um, a label like run for cover often when when record streamer come out, will put the music on Bandcamp for $5 instead of $10 digitally. And that's a method. But again, like the point of the stream is fully to boost sales. Like don't think about anything else. So, uh, well, well, I think I get your point. It's much more about promotion long-term and short-term. Okay, so here's my take on it. When people walk into these meetings, and you and I have both been a part of many album launch meetings, um, the logic they go in with is fucking stupid. Um, A lot of people don't 
think about these things, they get really dumb hypotheses, and a lot of the time everybody's trying to preserve relationships so the dumb hypothesis doesn't get pushed back on. It is absolutely stupid to ever put up a song from a release where you can't pre-order it. Yes. Period. End of story. Full stop. Absolutely dumb. And this is what what I'll say, and I'd go into a great deal about this book. We are bombarded by too much content today. By the time you remind somebody they can now buy it, they may already be sick of your song or not care as much as they did when they got that initial high. The initial high of music is why people buy things, is they get a dopamine release and then they go. I I went and saw Julie Ruin the other night. I got a dopamine release. I bought a shirt I am never going to fucking wear because I look ridiculous in it. Uh, I love that move. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, 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 that's no, a, you're, you're, all, you're, all, you're absolutely right, man. Like you, and you're, ju- you're literally just losing the opportunity. But sadly, between management label and idiot band member, somebody oftentimes is just either one, their thoughts aren't invested, two, they have a new hypothesis of some fuckboy logic they've come up with, and bad strategy gets implemented. Sometimes it's lack of care. Sometimes it's just bad strategy because somebody has a dumb idea. I will say without a doubt, that shit's dumb. That shit is dumb, Jesse. Drop your mic. Yeah. Drop it. Ah! Okay. Okay. What's the best CD place to get CDs? The made in literally the only place? answer available is disc makers. Disc makers. Uh, see, see, this is. Uh, I'll, I'll go around their their question. Why do you have to use the Northeast? I, I would say the best place to get CDs made in America is disc makers. I, well, so for small quantities, that's not true because nationwide does better okay. prices for, and for better runs of a thousand or more disc makers. Yes. See, see, this is the thing. Big time music executive Zach Cirillo yeah. only thinks about the big, big numbers. I'm here for you, little people. I, I, I'm all about you. I hate nationwide. Nationwide disc uh, does better prices than disc maker on short runs. As does a company called Copycats, which I don't know where they're based out of, but they're sounds like they're from the south. Sounds like a Texas company to me. I I don't know that at all. I feel I just feel like that's a southern name. Well, now I have to to you know. Uh, oh, look at that! They're in New York City. Ah. Oh, oh, I, the, the the you know when we're talking about dopamine rushes, one of the, my favorite ones is making you wrong on this podcast. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So that's my advice when it comes to that. But there's no reason to stay local. Though um, you're not going to pick these things up yourself usually. So just get them shipped to you and get it done. Um, and as well, Nationwide has very good turnarounds. A lot of the projects I work on do it uh, through them. But yeah, the majority of the time, it's disc makers because CDs are disc done. makers great for me for a thousand runs or more because by that you if you're not in a rush you can you can do like different times for delivery. So they have like rush delivery three days standard five, and then they have like economy which is ten days, and it removes a considerable amount of money from the quote. So you end up getting these CDs for under a dollar each, which is great. See, I don't like supporting them because they own CD Baby, and I think CD Baby is one of the most exploitive uh, businesses there is in the music business right now. This maker sponsored Property Zach earlier this year. Oh, that's, that's, that's lovely. So our next question is, if a friend and I are working on separate new tracks, would it be better to release a split as a first release or two separate ones? Can you please read who it's from? Uh, at AVA underscore 35. Love you, man. I feel for you. I'm sure the situation with Tom is as difficult as it has been for you, as for, as me as it is for you. 
<clears throat> okay, so anyway, splits are great to get other people's audiences, but it sounds like you and your friend probably have the same audience. Probably. So split's not going to help that much. It might be better for you to do a split with somebody else that's not as much in your audience. The best thing about splits is they introduce your audience to theirs and theirs audience to yours. It's a nice thing. It's very good. It's one of the best marketing ploys you can do. Knuckle puck and neck deep. Yeah, did I mean, it. sorority noise and Somos, yeah, dog. did it. Love splits. Yeah. Working on a new one right now. Love splits, except they don't make anyone any money. Well, <sighs> that that is a thing. That yeah. is a thing. So, do you have any recommendations? Uh, yes, I would love to recommend the Avengers 2, Age of Ultron. I'd love to re- recommend that you don't waste your time on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, sure. The Sorority Noise album uh, got announced uh, today with a new song with a pre-order, and I like it a lot. Uh, I am biased because I manage the band, but it's one of my favorite albums of the year. Um, so listen to that. Thank you. And I'm going to recommend that you, if you like dance music, you Google PC music and take it all in because that show I went to this weekend was amazing. And Jesse will also recommend uh, Montage of Heck. I recommended that last week. Oh, you recommend it again. Thank you for listening to Off the Record this week. If you listen live on Adobe, feel free to hit uh, over to iTunes and subscribe to us so you never miss another show. And you can keep up with us and ask us questions at offtherecord.fm. Thank you.